Welcome to the Word of God podcast. Today we are going to look at proper 13. Now remember, how did we get to where we are today? Well, in the church calendar, the church liturgical calendar, there are two seasons. One season stretches from the first Sunday of Advent, and it's usually at the end of November and the beginning of December, to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is not a set day in terms of when it is in the year. It's usually in May, but it could be in June depending on when Easter is. That's the first half of the year. The second half of the year are the Sundays after Pentecost. The Sundays after Pentecost. And the last Sunday after Pentecost is the Sunday that precedes the first Sunday of Advent, where we start over again. We are in the middle of the last Sunday after Pentecost season, and we are in proper 13. There are 29 propers, 29. So you can see we've got ways to go, and we're about in the middle. We are going to be looking at and continuing with 2 Samuel, Acts, and Mark. So let's jump right in. Where we left David last week, he was bringing the ark to Jerusalem. But the oxen stumbled. Remember in chapter 6? The oxen stumbled. And the person, Yusa, died. The Lord killed him. David wasn't very happy about that. And Obed-Edom The Giddite took care of the ark for three months, and the Lord blessed it. Verse 12. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. See, when God is present, he brings blessing. You want God in your home. You want God in your business. You want God in your soul. You want God inside. He will bring blessing. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing, which was Jerusalem. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all of his house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Now, this was a very festive occasion, God bringing up the ark. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. So David was very excited about this, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So David made a big deal about the ark coming to Jerusalem. And he was very excited. There was a lot of fanfare and rejoicing. And David returned to bless his household in verse 20. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How can the king of Israel honor himself today and uncover himself 
before the eyes of his servant, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all of his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. She thought he was being too gaudy in her, his celebration. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of which you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. She had spoken those words to him, and the Lord did not permit her to have children. Now, the seventh chapter of 2 Samuel is one of the most important in the Bible because this is the covenant that the Lord makes with David. This is the eternal covenant that he makes concerning the line of David and the coming of the Messiah, which I spoke about last week. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Now, Nathan, in verse 4 of chapter 7, is a very significant prophet to David. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. So God has been in the ark and they've moved it from place to place. And now we're talking about building God a permanent place, a temple. In all places where I've moved with all the people, verse seven of Israel, did I not speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. He's talking to David, about David. I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I'm the one that did that, God says. I'm the one that brought you out of the pasture. You'd still be there if it wasn't for me. And now you're prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you've gone. And I've cut, out your, cut off your enemies before you. Verse 9. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. So God is establishing his kingdom through David. Verse 13. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's going to raise up his offspring who is going to establish the kingdom of God. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, verse 14. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Remember, I departed from Saul and I left him. And remember, he dies on the sword at the end of 1 Samuel. But I'm not going to do that with you, David. Your line is going to be established forever. Here's the key verse. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So David receives this from the prophet Nathan. As we continue through chapter 7, Paul, um, Paul, David has a prayer of gratitude. He's thankful. He praises the Lord. 
David is very, very, very good at doing this. See the Psalter. He's very good about praising God. He's very good about speaking to God. So this section, this second half of seven, is a beautiful theological exposition of his understanding of who God is. And it's a blessing to us because it says how great God is, and that's an important thing for us to think about and be aware of. Look at verse 28. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So God raised up David. God took care of Saul. God blessed David with his victories. God is going to give him a uh, line that's going to be extended through Jesus, and the Messiah is going to come through him, and he is going to establish his residence, if you will, in the temple. But it won't be through David. As we'll see later, it'll be through Solomon, his son. Now, continuing on in chapter of proper 13, remember a complete list of these readings, these lectionary readings can be found in the, the description of this post. So you will see what you are to read on a daily basis. In chapter 9, we see David's kindness. We see his kindness illustrated. In chapter 10, he again acts as a warrior. In chapter 11, we see David's big problem. Finally, we get to David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. You know that very well. I've read this many, many times. A tremendous fall from grace. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remains at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was beautiful. He inquired about the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so it went from there. You probably know the story well. I won't recount it to you, but please read this chilling story and how Nathan had to go and speak to him about the extraordinary mistake that David made in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have David and Bathsheba, the killing of Uriah the Hittite, her husband, his sexual relationship with her. David rebukes him very profoundly. We also see in the second half of chapter 12 that David prays to no avail, the baby dies. The baby does not live. Then David comforted his wife in verse 24 of chapter 12, Bathsheba, and she went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. The Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called him Jedidiah because of the Lord. And so next week, we're going to pick up on the rest of 2 Samuel. And so we see some beautiful things today that David has done in his covenant with God, but then we see him fall tremendously with Bathsheba, the Nathan the prophet 
um, rebukes him and tells him what the Lord said. And then finally the child dies, but then God restores the relationship of David and Bathsheba with Solomon, who, as you know, is going to be the next king. In Acts chapter 18, we continue our missionary journeys with our beloved friend Paul. We saw last week that he was in Thessalonica and in Athens, Greece, and speaks at the Areopagus, very famous place in Greece. We see him in chapter 18 in Corinth. Remember, that's going to be to the Corinthians later. Again, way too much uh, information here to go through with you point by point, but there's a lot of lot going on here with um, Paul as he returns to Antioch in the middle of the chapter. And um, again, he is visiting places. He's speaking. He's doing ministry. He's raising people up. He's praying for people. He is doing miracles. In chapter 19, he goes to Ephesus. And in chapter 20, he's in Macedonia and Greece. The seven sons of Sceva you see in the middle of chapter 19. That's just a, uh, an amazing story that I want you to look at and, and work out. And then he goes to uh, Ephesus and he has some problems in Ephesus and they run him out. Of course, this is a very wonderful letter that he writes to the Ephesians later on. But again, the trials and tribulations of Paul in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is mostly about Paul. It's mostly about his journeys. It's mostly about what God is doing with him and to him and for him as he shares the message with the people that he visits. He undergoes suffering. He undergoes persecution. He undergoes conflict. But he continues to be empowered by the Spirit of God and shares the message. And so these wonderful uh, stories that Luke gives us in the book of Acts are just uh, marvelous, and I pray that you will enjoy them immensely. Let's look at the book of Mark in chapter 8 and 9 for this week. We left Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000, and then he begins to teach again. Now, some of his teaching is toward people that really want to hear what he has to say, and some of his teaching has to do with Pharisees and the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Okay? They don't want to hear what he has to say. They do not want to hear the word of the Lord. They do not want to hear what his message is. And so they are challenging him. But in that challenge, God is speaking to us. And he's telling us what the truth is regarding the kingdom of God. So you can learn a lot in these tete-a-tetes that he has. He heals the blind man at Bethsaida. This is one of the last healings uh, in the book of Mark, interestingly. Some people brought to him a blind man, begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. He spit on his eyes. He's laid his hands on him. Do you see anything? I see people. They look like trees walking. Jesus laid his hands on him again. He opened his eye. His sight was restored. And he sent him to his home because eventually he did see everything. Jesus heals people born blind. Again, another amazing miracle. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ toward the end of Mark chapter 8. Who do people say that I am? Well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Other people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're one of the prophets. But he looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? Now, this is the message that Jesus has for us all. Who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered them, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about it. So he asked the disciples and Peter answers positively, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Remember we talked about the Messiah in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection. He began to teach them, verse 31, that the Son of Man is going to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and in three days rise again. He said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. He just called him the Christ. Now he's being called Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus is very clear about where our allegiance needs to be. It needs to be with him. It needs to be for him. And then he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So you see this going back and forth. We see a healing of a blind man. We see him going tete-a-tete -tete with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we see him talking to the disciples about what's really important. There's always a lot of great information to learn in the Gospels. That's why a regular reading of the Gospels is very, very, very important. Finally, in chapter 9, we have the transfiguration of Jesus where he goes on the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. God the Father speaks and says, God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Those are good, that's good advice for us today. This is my beloved son, listen to him. They went down the mountain. They didn't understand all that it meant. After he had risen from the dead, they understood. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Again, another healing. He foretells his, foretells his death and resurrection again. The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. They're going to kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will, he will rise. Now, I think they remembered, the disciples remembered, the people remembered that he said that. But during that time when he was being crucified, they were scared to death. He says it to them at least three times. And finally, we look at another teaching at the end of chapter 9. There's who is the greatest. Jesus says, whoever receives a child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And then a couple of more teachings from Jesus from the disciples. You could study these books for the rest of your life, and people like myself do. You could study 2 Samuel for the rest of your life, not to mention the book of Acts and the book of Mark. So what you're doing is you're getting a feel for what's going on, and as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and leads you to look at these teachings, listen to the words. May the Holy Spirit speak to you, and may God illuminate your mind and reveal to you what these words mean and how they impact your life today. God bless you in your reading, and we'll see you next week as we will look at Proper 14.
God bless you.